Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Hebrews chapter 11. We brought you a message on verse 4, our last time, where it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. So that message was by faith Abel. Now, this, this morning, we'd like to look at the next two verses. Verse 5 and 6. It says, By faith Enoch. We're going to try to bring you a series of messages on these heroes of faith of the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And here it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. We know he had faith then because it says without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, it's a marvelous thing that the order in which we find these thoughts of Abel and Enoch and next Noah fall into a wonderful category because Abel, we, in Abel we find face worship. You have to first worship God. And then when we turn back and read in Genesis, we'll find that Enoch walked with God. You have to worship God before you can walk with God. And then you find as far as uh, Noah is concerned, he became a witness for God. So he began to serve God. And that's the divine order. Worship and walking with God and then serving God. Sometimes we get that order out of kelter in our Christian experience and people are pushed out here to serve God before they've even accepted the Lord or they are pushed out to serve God before they learn to walk with God. Maybe they've accepted the Lord, and they, but they pushed into service like Noah was. And then uh, they have not learned to walk with God like Enoch did. So the order is very Christian-like in our experience. But we want to preach this morning on by faith Enoch. And in order to do that, by the way, Genesis chapter 4 has to do with Abel. Genesis chapter 5 has to do with Enoch. Genesis chapter 6 and 7 have to do with Noah. So they form a kind of an order in the Old Testament. Now then, there's some things about Enoch we want to talk about before we get into... I'd like for you to turn back to Genesis chapter 5 and hold your place there because most of our information will be taken from Genesis chapter 5. But uh, there's some things that we uh, want to notice about uh, Enoch. First of all, that here's a man that walked with God. Let, let's read it. We will read a verse of Scripture, and then we'll come back and read some more Scripture in Genesis 5. But just to get the point here, Genesis 5 verse 24 says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He was not found. It's put in the, the New Testament where we read, he was translated. He was taken on to heaven after he walked with God. Now then, by way of introduction, let's speak of the fact that Enoch did walk with God and he was translated, taken on to heaven. A most notable exception to the rule because we find that the others are spoken of here and they died, they died, they died. And death is written all over the fifth chapter of Genesis. But you know, the things we want to talk about... We find that since Enoch was such an exception, yet there are only three short references to Enoch in the whole Bible. Not much written about him, as might be expected. Can you imagine being a man being taken up to heaven without dying? What would our world say about that today? You'd have book after book, and the news media would be saturated with it. 
Here's a man that walked along with God, and God just took him on to heaven. But God's Word, this shows divine inspiration, that God says specific things about people, things He wants us to hear and know about an individual. So we see that divine inspiration is written all over by the fact of what's not said, as well as what few things that are to the point that are said. There are three passages of Scripture in the Bible. We read you the first one, Hebrews 11:5. We read you just a portion here in Genesis chapter 5. But there is another passage in Jude, and it's verse 14 and 15. Jude, verse 14 and 15. And it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying... So he was the first preacher. He was the seventh from Adam. And he prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He compares the last days and the second coming of Christ to the days in which he lived, and we'll give you that comparison in a moment, and it was a wicked generation in which Enoch lived. So we find that he was a preacher. So what do we find in these three passages of Scripture? The first one, this one in Jude 14 and 15, tells us he was a preacher. And the one we find in Hebrews 11:5 tells us that he was the first man and the first since the fall of man of whom it is said that he pleased God. It is said of another. Jesus said, I do always those things which please the Father. But it is said of Enoch that he pleased God. And then Enoch was the first man to be translated without dying. So we can find that uh, Enoch was also a man of faith because it says without faith it is impossible to what? Please him. So we know he's a man of faith. And it says, By faith Enoch walked with God. And Enoch was the first man of whom it was said that he walked with God. Later on, in the next few chapters, you'll find it says Noah walked with God. Could have been Enoch's example that helped him to walk with God. You know, if one man walks with God, it might be a good example for someone else to walk with God. And so it's said later of Noah that Noah walked with God. We'll get into that in, in later part of our message. But I want us to look back and see a few verses of Scripture and hold your place in Genesis chapter 5, for this is where most of the information will be coming from. We might ask the question in the beginning, how is it that Enoch could and did walk with God? Because there's depravity written all over this fifth chapter. It says in the verse first, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And look down in verse 5. It says, Adam lived 930 years and he died. Now, I'm not going to read all these verses, but in verse 8 it says, Seth, and it tells his age, and he died. I want you to notice these three words, and he died, and he died. You'll find them eight times over, which is a result of the depravity of man. And each and every one of them, they lived their time and they died. And the Bible says the wages of what? Sin is death. And it's very evident that depravity is written all over the, these pages. On down in verse 11, Enos is speaking of, and it says, and he died. Down in verse 14, notice the last words, and he died. Down in verse 17, and he died. Verse 20, and he died. But now look, verse 24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Doesn't say he died, does it? On down in verse 31, well, verse 27, it's talking about Methuselah, the man that lived to be oldest, the oldest man that ever lived, 969 years, and he died. And on down in verse 31, Laman, and it says, 
770 and seven years, and he died. So the only exception to the rule in this whole story in Genesis chapter 5 is that Enoch walked with God and God took him. He was not found. He was translated that he should not see death, as Hebrews 11 verse 5 tells us. So if all are sinners, and so was Enoch a sinner, all were the sons of Adam, because it says the book of the generations of Adam at the very first uh, verse of this fifth chapter of Genesis. How is it that this man could not die? How is it that this man could walk with God in the first place? Now then, we're going to try to answer that question. That'll be the first point in our message. How is it that here's a man that though he was born a sinner, could not uh, uh, could escape death and walk with God and not die? And be translated. He was a sinner as all that are in Adam are sinners. In Genesis 5, we have this lesson of death. Of Romans 5.12, the Bible says, By faith one man sinned in, in, in the world, and that was Adam, and death by sin. So death hath passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And yet we find an exception to the rule. Here's a man that was a sinner that walked with God, and he was not found, for God took him. And as we continue to ask this question, how then could he walk with God? First of all, The Bible tells us in Amos 3, verse 3, that can two walk together except they be agreed. Now then, if we must be agreed to walk with God, then there must be reconciliation. If if one's a sinner and God's holy, there had to be the fact, uh, this walking with God, which uh, Enoch did, had to indicate that there was reconciliation between a sinful man and a holy God. There has to be reconciliation before we can walk with God. Because at first there's enmity. The Bible says the carnal mind and the carnal man is enmity with God. The natural man is not in harmony with God. So, we know God doesn't have to change, but man does have to change. And the Bible teaches us that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. There had to be a new creation. There had to be a new nature. So Enoch's walking with God indicated that he was a new person, that he was reconciled to God, that there was no more enmity between he and God. The Bible says light hath no communion with darkness. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that we're reconciled to God through Christ and Roman. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are a new creature. Peter says that we are partakers of His divine nature. So that we're born again, we're reconciled to God by the death of His Son, and we're put into a condition in our lives as Christians that we could, as Enoch did, walk with God, live for God. And so... uh, We see the condition of walking with God. It implies reconciliation. I'm glad that we can be reconciled to God because we are at enmity with God by nature. The Bible teaches depravity. The Bible teaches all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now then, the second thing, walking with God not only implies reconciliation, but walking implies correspondency of nature, which we've already touched upon, that there is a new nature. A divine nature. There's a putting away of sin. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And I'm glad that in the new birth there's an impartation of a new nature. You and I, every person here who has been saved and born again as a child of God, has another nature within than you had before. A divine nature. A new creation. 
That's why Jesus said you must be born again. He says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And he says that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And that new birth takes place when you put your faith in Christ, believe on him who died for your sins on the cross of Calvary. I trust that everyone here has done that. And if there's anyone here that has not done that, I would encourage you before this service is over to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be born again into the family and kingdom of God and become a new creature, a new person and put away the old things. And that's possible for anyone who will just turn to Jesus and trust Him. And by the way, I don't like to bring up my sickness all the time, but for the benefit of just saying this last two months, I've realized more than ever in my whole life how fragile life really is. And I, I guarantee you, when you come to experience the, the, the situation to where the, you don't know you're going to live that day, that hour, that minute, or the next one, you'll begin to think that you want it all right between you and God. So when you face eternity and you go out of this life, you're ready to meet the Lord. And if there's any, any person here, young or old, I don't care who you are, and you don't have that settled peace and know for sure that you're trusting only in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the time to settle that is right now in your heart. And you don't even have to wait to the invitation. But when you do, you ought to come down the aisle. But I want to say that that new nature is absolutely necessary. Now then, the Bible tells us that walking with God and teaches us that it not only implies reconciliation, but the walking with God implies correspondency of nature. It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Walking with God, the third thing, implies moral fitness. You're fit to walk with God. Moral fitness. What are we talking about there? God is a holy God. And we walk in the way of holiness when we walk with God. We, walk, we must walk in purity. We must walk in light. And we must walk in truth. Let me read a passage in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Let me read verse 6. It says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, if we walk in with God, when you walk along and have fellowship with someone, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But it says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So there needs to be a continual cleansing of sin. There needs to be a moral fitness on our part for walking with God. Let me read another verse of Scripture in the book of First uh, Peter chapter 1. It says in verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, not walking like you used to, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That is, sanctified, devoted to God, separated to God. In all conversation, that means your whole walk of life. Walking in God, walking with God, 
moral fitness to walk with God. You say, well, preacher, that means I'd have to be sinlessly perfect. No, it doesn't mean that. God knows that we're sinners by nature. He knows we've sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's made provision that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to what cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So to really have fellowship with God, we must confess sin and walk morally fit in God's presence. Now, you can do that. This is not an impossibility. God didn't say that you were sinlessly perfect. He did say there was cleansing through the blood of Jesus. He did say that you could be reconciled to God through the death of His Son. He did say that if we say we're walking with God and have fellowship with Him, and we're walking in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now then, walking with God implies a surrendered will. You know, we have our will and our way. We want to do our own thing. You've heard people say, well, I'm going to do what I please. How about Enoch walked with God and was translated that he should not see death because it was said before his translation that he pleased God, didn't please himself. You see, we're self-pleasers, not God-pleasers much of the time. But he pleased God. So we're talking about a surrendered will. Of Jesus, it is said in the book of Hebrews, by the way, I delight to do thy will, O God. By the way, it's quoted from one of the Psalms. I delight to do thy will, O God. Do we delight to do the will of God? Paul says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That was surrender, wasn't it? Remember when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus? He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He was not only saved, but he was called and surrendered all at one time to do the will of God. There must be submission on our part to the will of God because God... God's will is what has to be sought, not our own will. And by the way, God will not force His company upon anyone. He invites you to come and walk, but you have to go His way. And He's not going to force His company upon any person. So you must be surrendered to the will of God. Now then, walking with God also implies spiritual communion. Can you imagine that as uh, Enoch walked with God... What did you find? You'd find that there was progress. You know, when you walk, you make some progress. You don't take three steps forward and five steps backwards, or even one backward. Progress. You just keep on going. And by the way, when you walk with God, there's progress. There'll be spiritual progress. And there's consistency. Consistency. You know what? I don't believe it was just a... a, Now and then, he walked with God. Or once in a while, occasionally, he didn't didn't go in a run sometimes, a leap or a spurt, but a steady walk with God. So there was not only progress, there was consistency, and there was continuance. He continued to do it. It was a steady walk. If I could influence anyone and say to anyone today, let's not be just occasional worshipers or occasional churchgoers or occasional servants. It's said of David, he served his own generation by the will of God and then fell asleep. Fell on asleep. I was talking to a lady yesterday. It was She had mentioned my sickness and what I'd gone through. And I said, listen, 
I said, I'll be here just as long as God wants me to be here. Not a minute longer, and I won't go a minute sooner than He's ready for me. And the time comes He wants me, that's when I'll go. And by the way, that's true with you too. You may not want to apply it that way. So you better be ready. And let's keep it in mind that there are certain things that we need to do while we are here. And one of these things we're talking about is a consistent, steady walk with God. And I know we fall short. My goodness, sometimes we feel like that we're way behind. And sometimes we try to run ahead of the will of God. And we get out of the way and we get on the sidetrack when we go down the trail. And we miss the mark a little bit. But that doesn't mean we should not have a desire to have a steady walk and a steady progress and a consistency in our lives. The Bible tells us that the early Christians... Listen, the early Christians in Acts chapter 2 continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Steadfastly. They continued. I like people that continue in the faith, that continue to live, that continue to serve. And uh, when we find that consistency and that dedication, then God will bless your life and He'll bless the lives of others around you as a result. You don't live to yourself. Someone uh, is watching you. You say, well, I don't know who could be watching me. Someone is. They're watching how you live, how you love, how you serve, what you believe, what you teach, what you feel, your love, your sympathy, your care, your concern. And I can look out over every eye out there and every person and I can truthfully say that my heart goes out to every one of you because I, I really feel closeness to every member of this church. Every soul. And that's what a pastor's for. It needs to be taken from among men that he might serve men. Just as in the Old Testament, the priests were taken from among men. I'm not a priest because you're all priests in your own right. But I am a pastor. And a pastor is like a shepherd of the flock. And we're told in Acts chapter 20 that Paul charged the Ephesian elders to feed the church of God, the flock flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And the word feed means to, to not only feed the Word, which is a very essential and should have a priority, but to rule, to guide, to lead. And it has all those implications. A surrendered will. Walking with God implies spiritual communion, as we just said. Not a run or a leap or a spurt, but a steady walk. And walking with God implies a definite purpose. I mean, you just don't by chance. Someone says, I'm just going to live my life. Just probably accidentally, God will go along with me. <laughs> I don't think it works that way. It must be purpose of heart. Remember Daniel of old, it says he purposed in his heart that he would not take of the king's meat or defile himself with the wine which he drank. It's not accidentally that you walk with God. I don't believe Enoch says, well, you know, I'll just walk along in life and God wants to go along with me and be all right. It says by faith, and it says he knew that If he walked by faith, he had to please God. Because it says, for it is impossible for us to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, to please God. The Bible says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. That means to put forth an effort, doesn't it? I mean, if you exercise in any way physically, you have to put forth a little bit of strength and effort and motion and whatever. But it says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And it says that this has 
the prophet in the life that now is and of that which is to come. So it wasn't an accident that he walked with God. And he certainly walked by faith, as we've already spoken of. Now then, walking with God is going God's way. The Bible does not say that God walked with Enoch, but that Enoch walked with God. We must cease walking our own way. We must cease walking the way of the world and abandon and forsake it. There's so many things in the world that attract people today. We usually say young people, but old ones are just as susceptible. But there's so many things that pull you off of the track of walking with God. And the world's way is not God's way. Jesus said that he that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So if you follow Jesus, you'll have the light of life. Psalm 143, verse 8 says, Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. We need to know and have a discernment about the way to walk and a desire to know. Cause me to know, he said, the way wherein I should walk. Proverbs 3, verse 23 says, Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's wise to walk in the way. Isaiah 30, verse 21, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. This is the way. God's word gives you the direction of how to walk, doesn't it? Isaiah 42, 24 says, For for they would not walk in his way. There are some that would not walk. Neither were they obedient unto his law. So rebellion and disobedience, not walking in God's way. Jeremiah 6, verse 16 says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, wherein is the good way. The old paths are the good way. And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. God's ways were proven to be good ways, and Israel and Time after time, refuse to walk in those good ways. Jeremiah 7, verse 23 says this, But this thing command them, saying, Command I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. All the ways that God has commanded us, or for our progress and our prosperity, that it may be what? Well with you. If you want to walk where God's ways and the things of God are well with you, walk in His ways. Now, we've talked about Enoch walking with God. Now then, the result of Enoch's walk with God. First of all, there's growth in grace. He's making that kind of progress. Can you imagine a person walking with God and not growing in grace? When the Bible says grow in the grace and the in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then there's more than growing in grace. There's growth in knowledge. You know more of what God's will is. There's deep, settled peace and joy. Can you imagine walking with God who is holy and divine and taking you the right way and He's the source of all comfort and peace and not having a joy and peace in doing that? Have you ever seen folks you just like to have companionship with and it's a blessing to be around them and with them. Think of how much more it is to walk with God and what peace you would have with God. And then, it's not only that, 
but you become a witness for God. You know, worship comes before serving. I'm sure he became a witness for God. And by the way, we're reading of it today. Enoch walked with God and he was translated that he should not see death because before he uh, was taken out, before he was translated, carried over Jordan. We find that this was the word concerning him. He had this witness that he pleased God, didn't he? He pleased God. Now then, when he walked with God, when he walked with God, someone says, well, that was way back there in the Old Testament. When Enoch walked with God. Yes, but did you know it was the most sinful and wicked time? It was right before the days of Noah when God said the world is wicked and I'm going to destroy the world. That's when he walked with God. And you know what our excuse is today? What is our excuse today? Well, you know, I could walk with God except there's so much sin around about me. Uh, The world is so wicked that I can't walk with God. That's the world. That's not you. Enoch walked with God in the most wicked of times. And those times are compared to the last days in the book of New Testament. The Bible tells us that as of the days of Noah, and Noah's right after that, and we have something to say about Noah in just a moment because it's connected. So when did he walk with God? You can't use that excuse. We're going to see the commencement and the culmination of his walk. I want you to look look in Genesis chapter 5 again, and we need to read some scriptures. Verse 21. Hold your place there. It says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after, notice this word, after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. But it doesn't say Enoch walked with God before he begat Methuselah. He lived sixty-five years, and he was just living like the rest of them, I suppose. But after he begat Methuselah, it says he walked with God. Now, look, verse 23, And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You see, Methuselah, Enoch was Methuselah's father. Now, Methuselah, it's very important we understand the effect of the birth of Methuselah in the life of Enoch. Because it says he walked with God three hundred years. Look at that. After he begat Methuselah. Look at verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. That's a long time, isn't it? But it was after. You know what the meaning of the name Methuselah is? It means when he is gone, then it shall come. When he is dead, it shall be sent. That is the judgment that he was prophesying of. Methuselah's name, evidently God gave gave uh, Enoch the name for this baby boy that was born. His name was Methuselah. And mercifully, he lived to be the oldest, talk about God's mercy, the oldest man that ever lived. God let him live longer than anyone because he prolonged his judgment until the death of Methuselah. And it says, when he is gone, it shall be sent. And this was a message not only for everyone, but it was especially a message for Enoch. What did it mean? It meant that every time that Enoch would look at this baby boy and say, when this baby dies, God's going to send judgment. What would happen to you today if you had a, 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 an infant and God told you that in the name of that infant was the prophecy of what's going to happen and it happened to be, in this case, a prophecy of judgment? Oh, man, you'd take care of that baby day and night, wouldn't you? 
You'd want to make sure that you knew every breath it took. You'd want, you'd want to know all about it. So Enoch walked with God. Listen, after he begat Methuselah, doesn't say before, but 300 years. He was 65 when Methuselah was born. But 300 years. Now I want to go to show you something here. You might want to do a little mathematics in a moment. We said it's a prophecy. And that's exactly what happened when Methuselah died. The flood came and destroyed the world in Noah's day. And I want you to figure it out. Let, let's read on down. Uh, after, uh, begin with verse 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived uh, 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 and 180 and seven years and begat Lamech. Now, I want you to put down 187. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 782 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. So we have the total age, 969. And Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah. When Noah was born, you can see Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son. Now, I want to give you something to think about. You can figure this out if you want to. Exactly when Methuselah died, Noah was 600 years old and the flood came. Now, let's prove it, okay? First of all, Methuselah was 187. Notice, he was 187 when Lamech was born. That's in verse 25, 187. And Lamech was 182 years old when Noah was born. Look down there in verse uh, 28. To beget a son, verse 29 says he called his name Noah. So you take 187 and 182, that's 369, isn't it? We already know that... Uh, Methuselah lived to be 969. And Noah was born after 369 years of Methuselah's life. Now then, turn to chapter 7 and verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, add 600 to that 369. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. That's when the flood came. How long did Methuselah live? 969 years. 600 years and the 369 makes 969 years. So when Methuselah died, Noah was 600 years old, and the prophecy of the birth of that baby boy, when he is gone, dead, it shall come, it will be sent, came to pass just exactly like the Scripture says. So when, the, when Methuselah died, the flood came. It was sent. Imagine that effect upon Enoch. Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. That's verse 22. 300 years. No wonder he walked with God. And he only lived to be 365. It tells in the next verse that, that uh, Enoch was taken to heaven. All the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not found, for God took him. So uh, he didn't die, but he was, that was the end of his earthly life. But he walked with God, what, 300 years after he begat Methuselah. Now, God has given us a warning, too, of this time 
that there's a judgment coming. And it's time for you and I to think about the fact that God says He's appointed unto men wants to die, and after this, the judgment. We're also warned of the coming judgment, aren't we? But Enoch was translated that he should not see death. You know what the word uh, means? It means carried over or across death. It means he was carried across the river of death. You know, we sing a song. A lot of times we sing it at funerals. I won't have to cross Jordan. Jordan's a picture of death. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. When I've come to the river at ending of day, the last winds of sorrow have blown, there'll be somebody waiting to show me the way, and I won't have to cross Jordan alone. And we cross it over with Jesus. But Enoch is a type and a picture of all those who, are, who will be living when Christ comes. And they will be taken up without dying. We've got a picture of of a coming judgment. We've got a message of a coming judgment. We've got a, a picture of, of a Christ coming, of the rapture, and all believers that are living at that particular time. The Bible says we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed or translated. We'll all be taken up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the trumpet. And the dead in Christ shall rise, and we all shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's going to be a... First Thessalonians chapter four and First Corinthians chapter fifteen, two passages. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one. You can begin there. First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning with verse thirteen, would be good. And those two passages of Scripture show us that there there will be many that will be taken up and shall not see death. But if we do have to see death, like almost all human beings will see death until Jesus comes and takes his own out of this earth and out of this world, then we better be prepared. So I'm saying to you this morning, 